0: Well, good morning, First Family. Good to see you, and so glad you've joined us today. We're in our fourth week in the series For the Common Good too, and we have arrived at verse 6. Finally, right? We've spent about three weeks uh, doing some background work on the verses preceding the listing of the gifts. And so we're today going to begin looking at uh, the seven gifts listed in verses 6 to 8. We'll take three this week, and then we'll take four next week. But I don't want you to underestimate the importance of some background, of some context, all right? So let me review with you our our, our big idea for this five-week series, kind of the, the framework that we're using to uh, on which to kind of place all of our teaching in this series. Okay, here it is, that manifestations, which would be the Spirit's gifts, another word for them used in 1 Corinthians, those manifestations that are for the common good, they, they really flow from an inside-out transformation. So what you see on the outside in relation to the gifts, they really come from a relationship that's on the inside, and that's possible because of mercy-rich salvation. We see this in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and even before Romans 12 in chapters 1 through 11. So here's, what's Paul, here's what Paul is doing. He's moving them from a belief-only kind of mentality to where it shows up in their behavior. He's showing that what God does on the inside shows up on the outside. That's what spiritual gifts are. They're external displays of God's presence and power that's coming from His work on the inside of His children. Let me give you an example. This is just an illustration of, of this same principle. All of us know what it's like when a baby's born. There's movement, there's breathing, there's life, but we wouldn't say that's when the baby has come to life. The baby's been alive those previous nine months in that mother's womb from conception forward, a living human being. But when it's born, it's visible. We see signs of life. We see movement and, and crying and other things as well, right? It's the same thing spiritually. When God births new life in us, when He regenerates us and saves us, yes, there's life inside, but then that begins to show up in the form of spiritual gifts. It's one of the signs of the Spirit's life in us. So as you're listening to this series or perhaps even today's your first time or you're, you've are just kind of been checking out First Family online for a few weeks, if you've been intrigued by spiritual gifts and you're kind of wanting that but you have no idea what it means to have a relationship with Christ, let me just kind of ask you to pause in your tracks and do not seek the gifts before you seek the giver. And What you first and foremost need to do is put your feet on the gospel Take your stand right there and and begin a relationship with God through Jesus, because only as that occurs and He begins to transform us, then do we find ourselves available and open for for God's gifting through His Spirit, all right? So that's our framework. That's the review. Make sure you kind of understand it, and that'll help us as, again, we dive into now these seven gifts listed in verses six through eight, three this week and four next week. Let's read our text, shall we? Here's those three verses. Beginning in verse 6, Paul has just come off talking about sobriety and humility as well as variety with unity. and now he's going to talk about functionality with profitability. Here's verses six through eight. having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, and notice that phrase is the exact same phrase as used in verse three. in verse three it's in a singular a voice. Speaking of Paul, now it's pluralized. And so Paul's saying, we've all been given this grace. And based on that grace, we've been given gifts. So gifts aren't earned. They're not merited. They're a gracious favor from the Lord through His Spirit. And so according to that grace, Paul says, let us use these gifts. I love that four-word phrase, don't you? In other words, let us deploy them. Let us put them into practice. He's speaking here of usage, function, function. Then he lists these seven. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's tackle those first three this week. Let's start with number one. He says that there's this gift of prophecy and if that's the gift in play or in usage, then we should do that in proportion to our faith. Let's talk about prophecy for a bit. I'll give you a definition and some examples for each of these gifts and then a few caveats about them as well. Now, prophecy really just literally means to speak before, okay? It means to, to give truth um, in a timely and relevant manner. And often, it is truth that's spontaneously revealed. That doesn't mean it's necessarily about the future all the time. It just means it comes in that moment. So often when we hear prophecy, we think about this gift in terms of prediction. I would ask you to see prediction as secondary and see it more as a proclamation gift. Now, maybe you're wondering, how is prophecy then different than teaching or exhortation? It's because I think one of its distinctions is that that prophecy tends to have more of a spontaneous element to it. I don't think it's a requirement, but I do think it's a, It's a a noticeable trait in the scriptures where God may may lead someone with some words they should share or a thought. It could be about the future. It could be about that present moment. But prophecy is this this revelation. Paul uses that word later in 1 Corinthians. This this information from the Spirit about a situation that someone feels prompted to share in a timely and relevant manner. Let me give you some examples of how this occurred in scripture. Uh, Acts 11 In Acts 21, we see Agabus, which is probably one of the better-known New Testament prophets, and he spoke about two things that were going to happen, the famine, and then, of course, Paul's trip to Jerusalem, and and just kind of spoke into those with words that would strengthen and help equip the church for those two times. There's also some other examples that uh, you should be aware of. One is Philip had four unmarried daughters in Acts 21, and they prophesied as well. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, about verses 4 and 5, the Bible says that men and women can both prophesy when the church comes together as long as it's based in certain uh, protocols. And so he lists those out. My point in mentioning that is this. Uh, it seems that this gift is available to both men and women within the church, both when it gathers collectively as well as perhaps when they're meeting and, uh, individually and having those kind of encounters. It's a, it's a high-priority gift in the Scriptures. This gift of prophecy, seen several times in Acts as well as in the epistles. And his definition, again, is just that of, of, of transferring, of proclaiming truth that's relevant and timely, often given spontaneously. Now, this gift is one of those ones that's hotly debated, all right? I think most of you know that. It's in that um, category of sign gifts that some think they're not available, and some think that they are available. I personally would be in the camp that says, The gift of prophecy is available today. Um, I am a conservative continuationist, which means I think all the gifts are available, but I think they should be deployed with with a strict adherence to the biblical protocols. Now, if you ask me, Todd, why are you in that camp? Why do you think the gift of prophecy is available today? I could list several reasons, but let me give you an overarching explanation I think will help you. Because when this gift is discussed in Scripture you find that it goes beyond just description. There is a a tone and a sense of, of expectation about this gift. There's a real sense that there's some prescription attached to it, not just description only. Let me show you two scriptures that I think would lean into this well. The first one's in 1 Corinthians 14. About verse 29, Paul begins speaking about prophecy in the church when it gathers... He's just finished talking about some protocol for tongues. And he says in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. The word others there is referring to other prophets. Verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, meaning another prophet, notice the word revelation used there, kind of the idea of a, a spontaneous bit of information. He says, if that occurs, let the first one be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God's not a God of confusion, but of peace. When you read this text, you find some some expectation about how to go about it, what to look for, and and the kind of protocols to follow. So when I read that, I, I sense that's much more than a description of something that happened in the past. I find Paul's laying some groundwork by kind of building some runways and some fences for for the church to know here's how to to, um, operate within this gift when God grants it. Another one is 1 Thessalonians 5. I'll just begin in verse 19 in which Paul writes this in one of the epistles, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. I think everything there would be referring to prophecies. Every prophecy that comes out, test it. That would make sense in 1 Corinthians as well when the spirit of the prophets were subject to that among each other and also that we're to, to weigh what's being said. So this is very consistent with Paul's message. Again, the tone of expectation. He says, Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. And I think these verses really are in the same context of prophecies. Could it be that one of the ways that we quench the spirit is when we despise prophecies? We say, God would never say that or reveal that or lead that way or or cause you to sense that. He says, instead of despising them, we should actually test them. And we should hold fast to that, which is good, and then abstain from those that are false and wrong. Now, this is a somewhat odd uh, bit of waters to navigate. But I think the Bible gives us good protocol for how to do it. I won't go into all those in this message. I just want you to know, I think the gift is available I think it demands humility. I think it demands a willingness to have what we sense God leading and saying to us to be weighed by others in the church, the church's elders and leaders, those uh, who may be gifted in such a way as well. And so just realize this takes a lot of humility, uh, a lot of submissiveness, but it is an available gift because these scriptures seem to give us a tone of expectation. So if you're wondering Why does Paul go to those lengths to talk about prophecy in those terms? Here's what I think is his point. It's because he doesn't want us to think about prophecy in terms of craziness. I think he wants us to think about it in terms of confidence. doesn't mean we approach it arrogantly or boastfully, but we we should. When we sense God leading us, we should be willing to, to verbalize that in a humble, kind of submissive way and attitude. Instead of just dismissing what God could lead in our hearts, be willing to voice it and verbalize it. I think that's precisely the point here. Now, when we voice something like that, when we sense God leading us, when we sense Him giving us information in a spontaneous fashion that would help, strengthen, or encourage, or edify someone, you know, um, uh, what should we do then? Well, Like I said, we, we, we look to those around us who are in our church leadership's role, ask them to weigh this, as well as others with the gift of prophecy. But watch this. I think we use the faith that God has given us in exercising that gift, and we use the faith that God has given us. Now, that seems repeated, right? But watch this. One refers to the faith that God's given you inwardly. The other is referring to the faith that we hold as a body of beliefs. And I believe that's what he's referring to here back in our main text. Look at Romans 12 again. Verse 6, he says, We're to prophesy in proportion to our faith. You see that? So there's a definite article there. In the most literal sense, it would say in proportion to the faith. So that could refer to a body of beliefs that we hold. And so what God leads in someone, how he spontaneously would give them information, maybe about the future, maybe not, maybe at the moment, it should line up with God's Word. Otherwise, it will not be from God. It's not from God if it's not lining up with His Word. But it also could mean that it's the faith of that person, meaning That God gives each person a measure of faith, according to this text. And so based on that faith, use this gift. I think what he's saying there is this. When when God begins to lead in this way and and grant this gift to someone, the tendency may be to to get shy and and fearful. I think here's the the point is, use the faith that God's given you to, to boldly, humbly share, verbalize what God's been saying to you. So that's the gift of prophecy. There's much to be said about it. We could probably spend several weeks just on this gift. But that gives you somewhat of an overview about this gift mentioned here in Romans 12, 6. Gift number two is the gift of uh, service. He says in verse 7, if service, then use this gift in our serving. The word there is the literal word for deacon, steakonos. And so this word here in this text refers to to someone who's just ministering or they're serving. Now, let me explain something to you. This is also a, a, a gift listed in 1 Corinthians 12, but I think there they use the word helps. The word helps comes from the Greek word to stand in for someone. So here's why I put them together. I think the, word, the gift of service, the gift of helps, are maybe a larger category for a lot of gifts, but they refer to someone who has practical, logistical gifted abilities in which they free up other people, they support the needs of others, meet the needs of others, and so they accomplish very practical and necessary tasks. This is their divine enablement. I think that's what this is referring to, people who minister and they kind of stand in for others. In fact, you'll notice that in 1 Corinthians 12, the word service there, it's the word administration in some translations, but it's the same word as used here. And that's the same word Peter uses in chapter four, So it may very well be a larger umbrella for many gifts. Not sure about that. Uh, I might conceive it that way personally. Just be aware, this word service here, the word helps in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, I think are the same gift. I tell you that because we've made available for you a listing of all the spiritual gifts and their definitions. And on there, you're going to find that service and helps are, are put together. So when you're reading through there, don't think we missed one. We just put these gifts together because we sense that they really do belong together. Service is that gift of someone who's standing in for someone else and accomplishing practical, necessary tasks that frees them up and gives them a lot of support. Here's a couple of examples in the scriptures of this gift in operation. I'll go to the most obvious one that's the seven men in Acts chapter 6. They're known as deacons, but you realize they stood in for the apostles. There were some logistical issues with feeding the widows, the church was facing some possible disunity. But if the apostles were to deal with it, they'd be pulled away from the ministry of the word and prayer. So what they do? They found seven godly men. And they said, well, you oversee this for us. And so they stood in for the apostles and they served and met needs. They handled logistical, practical things that enabled the apostles to stay focused on the ministry of the word and prayer. The same words used to Phoebe in Romans 16 as well, where it says she's a servant of the church. And so we find this as interesting spiritual gift. It's one in which someone just uh, comes to the aid of another and serves them and meets needs and frees them up in practical ways. That's the gift of service. The third gift mentioned here is the gift of teaching. It says in verse 7, that if you have the gift of teaching, then use that in your teaching, which makes sense, right? The word teaching here just means to instruct. Uh, it means to clearly bring forth understanding from someone. And someone with this gift is going to have the ability to, 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 to mobilize individuals, groups. They're going to have this uh, unique ability to explain things accurately. Uh, it's the kind of person that when you hear them, you're like, oh, now I get that, or that makes sense. Kind of the light bulb moment occurs when they're working with you and talking with you. This is the gift of teaching. In fact, let me just share this with you. that The word teaching here in this text is the word didasco. It means simply to lay things out in a, in a strict kind of bullet-like fashion, very uh, uh, factual and clear. Uh, in fact, in the first century, the church had a book of very factual aspects of their doctrine, not only what they believed, but how they were to behave in light of that. It was called the Didache. And it was a book you could go to, and it would just kind of give you the bullet list items of here's how we behave and here's how, what we believe. comes from the same word, teaching. So this person with this gift is that person that just can lay things out for you, kind of clear the path, and you just kind of know, this is what I should do now, this is what I should believe. Here's an example of that. It's in Acts chapter 18 with Aquila and Priscilla. In fact, they taught Apollos the way of Christ, the way of God more accurately, verse 26 says. Now, don't think that Apollos was some new believer and just needed someone to kind of, you know, disciple him. I'm sure that happened in his life, but at this point, the Bible says he was a competent man. He was eloquent. He was a good preacher. He was a solid man who was, who was uh, used by God in his service. And yet, he had a, there were some, some points in which he could have uh, furthered his understanding. So Aquila and Priscilla brought him into their home, and they, they taught him the way of God more accurately. And so when he left their company, here's this man of God, this eloquent preacher, leaving their company, and he's even a more powerful preacher for that generation. So it's, it's a beautiful usage of the, of the gift of teaching right there in Acts 18. So we see these three gifts mentioned today. Prophecy, service, and teaching. Uh, think about these three gifts. I'm reminded of, of, of four things that they will accomplish in our church, all right? I'll just mention these to you briefly. But if we just had these three gifts only, I can guarantee you these four things would be done. First of all, we'd see that the church would be prepared corporately. We'd find that the church would have their needs met physically. We'd find the church would, would be edified spiritually and that the ministries would be supported logistically, all just from these three gifts. And don't forget, church, this is the end game of gifts. That the church uh, across the board, corporately, that church wide, it's edified, strengthened, built up, that the common good experiences the the real benefit of the gifts. Here's three verses to prove that to you. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, let all things be done for building up. This is in the same passage on spiritual gifts. And the end game is building up of the church. 1 Peter 4:10 says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So the focus is outward. It's for the common good. And then of course, our, our verse from last year, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, this key verse we looked at, that to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I would remind you, that, that phrase, for the common good, specifically the word common good, it's the word from which we get our word symphony. Here's what Paul is saying. Here's what the Holy Spirit's inspiring Paul to communicate to us, that when the gifts are in operation, gifts such as prophecy, service, teaching, when they're operating... Man, that's the instruments that's playing in God's orchestra. The Holy Spirit's the wind behind that. And when God's instruments are all playing, it may be different, different notes, different chords, different instruments, but when they're all playing and God's the wind behind it, it makes a beautiful uh, song. It's beautiful to the ears and everyone benefits. And this is the end game, that the gifts are used for the common good. Now, maybe you're wondering, what does that look like, Todd, in the 21st century? What would it be like for someone to prophesy in our church in 2020 or or serve or teach? I know that when I first opened this series, I laid out for you some examples of that. Travis, last week, did the very same thing with some specific ways. Let me just share with you some things that, that I know have occurred in the last several months that would indicate God is unleashing people. Uh, through His Spirit's power to use gifts. I think about um, the email I received from Deb Russell. She just emailed me one day, and this is towards the beginning of the pandemic, actually. She said, Todd, just something the Lord's kind of led me and nudged me on. She goes, since we're all online now, what if we had some yard signs that we could just distribute to our community and ask our members to take and they could put in their yard? She goes, no pressure, just a thought. Yes or no, it doesn't matter to me. I just wanted to kind of nudge you with it. Uh, just, she just kind of shared that with me. So we made some and produced them, got 50 of them. They were gone in a few hours. You kind of emailed the church and said, hey, if you want to sign, let us know. So all that went out. But here's why I think that may have been uh, a timely, relevant piece of spontaneous information to our church. Because I have had at least two conversations in stores in our community the last probably three weeks. In which someone has said to me, hey, I saw your sign. I started tuning in, and I plan to probably be there when you guys open back up. So I would share with them the date we're going to open. They'd say, well, maybe that's too soon for me. I'll see. I'll keep watching online. And we were talking, and, and, and one of them said, well, I don't think I ever would have gone to church uh, in the big crowd. But when I watched online, and when I heard, when I saw, and knowing that you're coming back with more services, this person said, I, I think I'm going to grab a friend, and we'll show up. Could it be that that God nudged Deb Russell with just some spontaneous information designed to comfort and edify the church and increase the impact of the gospel? And so she shared that. We took action on it. And look how that spiritual gift has been for the common good. I think about folks who are serving around here. Uh, Greg and Sherry Davidson. Man, they're just beautiful with this gift. In fact, just about two weeks ago, we had a need come up with someone that has... Uh, got the coronavirus. And they're kind of quarantined right now in a hotel room in West Des Moines. And so I talked to Cynthia and kind of mobilized part of our staff to deal with that. And and Greg just jumped in and said, listen, I'll be the liaison. I'll, I'll drive out to West Des Moines with some meals. I'll minister. I'll serve. And, and Greg and Sherry have just been uh, vital in ministering to this person. And we know some of their family as well. And so that's been part of the picture. And what a beautiful uh, picture of someone just jumping in to serve and and what he's done is he's taken some of the logistical load off of us so we can still concentrate on other areas as well it's the gift of service right there in front of us i'll tell you one that we've not said anything about much at all and that's the the people who make this actually happen the recording of our service taylor and his team the minute this happened their workload just increased and uh, you've seen the uh, really quality production that they began to give us from day one of the pandemic and so that's not been easy or light, and yet they've embraced that. And so many people that you don't see, they're on the other side of these cameras. I mean, there's many of them who are running wires and checking lenses and turning knobs. They're doing things that I wouldn't know how to do and other folks can't, but they're making this possible. And it's been a lot of hours, but they freed us up to continue to do this part. So, and, and they're doing that part. It's the gift of service right there in action in our church. I think about teaching. I mean, there are so many teachers in our church I think about uh, Sylvia Wineland and Marsha Lazada, who teach our women, especially the return event. I hear so many consistent things. In fact, I usually read the the messages they're going to give to our women. I like them and and they sometimes give them to me because they think maybe I want to kind of make sure they're good to go and maybe that's part of it. But more than likely, uh, more than anything, I just like reading them and learning and benefiting and growing from their teaching. I think about Chris Parley and how many New believing women she's taken under her wing to disciple. I think about Jerry Selber and Scott Helms. They're taking 20 plus folks through disciples, making disciples, just teaching them. There, there's, this is across the board and, uh, in different classes, whether it's children's or whether it's adults, our small groups, many environments where people are teaching and instructing. I'm so thankful that these gifts are in operation. I think about one that was very meaningful to me, meaningful to me personally. Oh, several weeks ago, I was driving back from Michigan. And uh, Kathy Lund called. And she didn't know I was driving back. And I answered and she said, Todd, I, I have a word for you today. And so I said, Kathy, I'm all ears. And she relayed to me that just a few minutes prior to that, the Lord had just kind of nudged her with this thought that while the pastors are, are taking care in a more direct way with, with the vulnerable population during this pandemic, Don't forget that pastors can often be vulnerable. And she said, Todd, I sensed on my heart that I was to call you and just say, we're praying for you and we care for you and you're not alone. She said, I shared that with Bob. And he said, you should call Todd right now and tell him. And so she did. So in that call, she relayed to me some spontaneous information that while we are mobilizing our staff and helping others, and caring for our vulnerable ones right now in a more direct and lengthy fashion, she said, we care for you too. And what she didn't know was that I had just dropped Julie off in Michigan to, to be with her mom and help her mom care for her dying father. I came back. I was here alone for a few days. I went back to Michigan for multiple days. Um, I've made two or three trips, about a nine hour trip back and forth. I've got, well, we've got more to go probably. Uh, in those days, there were times Julie and I both felt emotion, emotionally vulnerable, distant, apart. Uh, you know, you long for each other, you miss each other. And I'll never forget Kathy on the front end of that saying, Todd, we care for you too. I think that's just a spiritual gift in play. God's Spirit nudging people. And then watch this, them acting on that. And so I want to make sure you understand that this kind of environment, it happens not because we label the gifts, not because we're defining everything. It happens because we're living the gifts. It happens because the Holy Spirit is, is seeing who's available, and then God just dispenses the gifts as He sovereignly sees fit. And so I want to encourage you again this year, like I did last year, don't focus on definability. We gave some definitions, some examples. I think that's helpful to a degree, but I think what's most helpful is that you make yourself available for God to use and gift with whatever gift He knows is needed in the moment. And then When you sense God leading you, when you sense an opportunity, an open door, just to move that direction, to act, to use the gift, as Paul said in verse 6. And we'll see God begin and continue to unleash His power and presence through His spiritual gifts given to His children for the common good. It's my prayer for you, First Family, that you'll join the ranks of many others who are making themselves available every single day to God and just simply saying, Lord, use me in any way you can. Gift me in any way necessary today to benefit the church and impact the world. Will you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we are amazed that such a system exists like this, one that often Goes beyond our understanding, and I admit that freely. So much of this is outside the realm of, of knowing how to make something happen, it's out of our control because it is supernatural. These enablements, these endowments, are, are from you, they're through your spirit. So, God, would you make us a people more and more available to the gifts of your spirit, to these common good manifestations? Lord, I I do want to learn about them. I I want to learn how they look, uh, how they work, what they look like. But more than anything, I pray that myself and our people would just open our hearts every day and say, God, we are available to be used by you and empowered by your Spirit for the good of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.